Woke up quick at about noon. And welcome into the Wednesday, May 6th edition of the podcast with Damian Barling, presented by Vibe Health Bar. Thank you to all of those who have donated to their uh, help a healthcare worker, uh, help our healthcare warriors. Thank you to all those who donated money, whether through the GoFundMe page or uh, who have uh, sent meals to our healthcare workers through the various delivery apps, Postmates, Store, Dash, Grubhub, all of that fantastic stuff. You are absolutely making a difference, and we greatly Greatly appreciated, just as I do. I'm so happy uh, that you are here, so happy that you have downloaded, so happy that you have decided to allow me to be a part of your day, despite the fact this is a sports podcast and there's not a whole lot of sports uh, going on, but there's always news to talk about, and we will do uh, just that today. We'll start with the NBA as it relates kind of to what I was just saying. Uh, the NBA is moving forward with practice facilities in states uh, with relaxing Stay-at-home orders, uh, they're moving forward with those facilities opening up on Friday. And I go back to what I said last week. It's fine if you want to go ahead and open up these training facilities. I understand the reasons why. I understand how many uh, players have actually stayed in market versus going to other places. But it's creating this perception that the NBA is on its way to returning. They're not mandating practices. There aren't practices I don't even think there's more than one-on-o workouts going on, or perhaps, and this detail is a smid bit sketchy based on what I have heard privately in in the way Woj uh, uh, framed one of his reports. I I think there can be one-on-one workouts as it pertains to coaches, like certain levels of coaches and players working out together. Uh, But I, I don't know. I, I guess we'll just have to wait to see how all of this plays out. I just, I, I wouldn't look at this. I wouldn't look at training facilities opening up as the first step to the NBA returning. I would absolutely not look at it that way. Now, it appears California, a handful of other states, they're, they're starting to move in directions where it's like, okay, we're inching closer and closer to some semblance of what reality was before March 13th. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I, I honestly think this, this is a terrible thing to say. And if you think I'm way off base, then, then, then fair enough. You're, you're welcome to tell me. It wouldn't be the first time. I feel like these governors and these, these, uh, you know, government officials, they're, they're basically gambling with people's lives. I don't think we know enough about this disease, or, or maybe they know enough about the disease, and we don't. It hasn't been made public to us, and that's fine. They're welcome to know everything that they want to without sharing it with us, and if they feel that uh, they're you know in a comfortable place to where we can start opening, I think uh, retail stores are opening up. Uh, this week, I, I saw how you know, I, I, I kind of saw the game plan that, that Gavin Newsom laid out. I also saw, oh, crap. I don't remember what state it was in. But they, they, they had kind of, you know, what Gavin Newsom is implementing for California on Friday, they had implemented within their state yesterday. And there was a, a pretty lengthy line. Of course, people, you know, standing six feet apart, which is, it's a hell of a sight to see. To get into a mall, and it's like, hi, like, okay, is that is that what the gallery is going to look like? Is that what 
uh, Arden Mall is going to look like? Arden Fair, like, are just people going to be lined up to get inside? Hey, I don't know. Like, have you guys gone to like Safeway or Target within the last few weeks? And like, there's someone who stands outside and marks, you know, how many people come in and how many people come out. Is that what's going to happen at at the mall? Or is that is that what is that is that what's going to happen at the mall in general? Is that's going is that going to happen like within stores in the mall? Can you imagine if like an iPhone went on sale on Friday? Oh my gosh, there would be people lined up at the Arden Fair Mall like all the way to downtown Sacramento. There'd be so many people plus the six six feet of separation. It's like oh man, they're 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 really moving forward with this, and everybody. You know, everybody in terms of the, uh, you know, control, the the uh, control for health, the diseases that they said, yeah, there's a good chance a second wave of this is going to hit in the fall. And this is why, <laughs> like moments like this, this is why a second wave is going to hit in the fall. So I'm, I'm trying to, I understand the plight that all of these companies are in, including the NBA. Like I, I understand the issues that they're having. I understand that they're, Hey, we've, we've got to reopen. We've got to allow people to get back to work to hell with the jack offs who are, you know, standing in uh, uh, downtowns at, at capitals all across the country saying, oh, I need to get my haircut. What we need is the people who give the haircuts to get back to work. We need the people who have, you know, livelihoods that depend on them being at work. We need small businesses to be able to get back to their jobs and do what they do and be able to earn money. The issue that I'm concerned about is if we're, and I, and I, and I, and I say we're like we, I, I use that in the, you know, just most generic term. If, if we aren't ready for that, we're going to go through this all over again, you know, come Christmas time or maybe not Christmas time, come like, you know, Halloween or Thanksgiving or something. We're going to be going through this all over again in, in October or November. So, you know, I obviously deviated from the point, and the point is the NBA is moving forward with their plans to open up facilities on uh, a Friday, but I cannot stress this enough. Do not take that as a sign that the NBA is returning. All it means is, and it actually, I, it, I guess, I don't know that Gavin Newsom has said anything about um, sports in, in like, I, I, I don't know that the stay at home law is, or st- st- it's not a law. Sorry. The stay at home mandate is starting to, you know, relax on Friday. Does that mean, you know, I don't know who's here. Like if De'Aaron is here or for Sean Holmes is here, I don't know if that means that they could go into the golden one center and work out. I assume it does. Uh, because if you're going to open up retail space, I would think you'd be able to open up what what is a, a a private gym if the NBA allows them to. And the NBA, as we know, has allowed them to. It's just if, uh, you know, the Kings are going to do it, that means the Warriors have to be able to do it, though I don't think Steve Kerr wants anything to do with this because they're not, I, I, don't, I don't imagine the, I, same is true for the Kings. I don't imagine the Kings or the Warriors are going to be playing moving forward, but the Kings were within... At least they were within striking distance. So just in case, if 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 Adam Silver said, okay, we're going to play five regular season games again, I don't think that's going to happen. The Kings can go into it with the mindset, well, we've got to win them, and the Grizzlies got to lose them. All we could do, let's, let's control our part. Let's get ready. Let's go win those games. Whereas the Warriors could win like 20 games, and it, it wouldn't matter. Like they're not making the playoffs. But the Lakers and the Clippers, obviously, they're the top two teams in the Western Conference. They want to get back to work because if there is any hope 
for a season to return, um, those those two teams are, are, are going to be at the top of the conversation. But it's not just, you know, I, I don't know where Boston stands. Like, Boston has any, you know, California has, you know, they've peaked. You know, we have peaked and we have started to kind of head down the hill in terms of, you know, flattening the curve and leveling things out. Like California has done that. Uh, Massachusetts has not. And, you know, we talked about, like, what are the... Are you telling me after everything that has gone on in New York that the Knicks and Nets are just going to go practice or they're just going to go work out at their facilities? Man, that seems... Ooh, that seems dangerous. If you've seen the numbers... You know, I, I actually, I'm guessing many of you had. If you saw that uh, uh, article that the Sacramento Bee put out, um, I th- think it was over the weekend... That said, uh, Sacramento, uh, you know, is one of the, uh, you know, best cities, best metropolitan cities, uh, best metropolitan areas in terms of uh, handling the coronavirus and, and, and the low impact that the coronavirus has uh, had on us here. You saw that New York is at the top of that list and they're at the top of that list by a massive, massive, massive margin. And most of the states that are most of the not states, most of the areas that are at the top of that list are areas in the Northeast. Providence was on the list. Um, Boston, they were on the list. So there's, you know, these these are difficult waters for Adam Silver to navigate. And I feel like Adam Silver has been navigating all sorts of difficult waters since he became the commissioner of the NBA. Uh, But they did say yesterday, Mark Stein did report as well as a number of other uh, NBA reporters that the plan moving forward is uh, facilities with black stay at home uh, mandates. Uh, they are going to open up their facilities on Friday. And so I assume, and again, it is just an assumption on my part based on what's going on in California that uh, the Kings, the Warriors, uh, should the Warriors choose to, uh, the Clippers and the Lakers uh, will be involved in that as well. On a lighter note, you know I'm a sneakerhead. We talked about this, uh, I think, on Monday. If if you're a sneaker guy, even though we have nowhere to wear our dope sneakers to, uh, there's a there's a good set of releases coming up the week of the final episode of The Last Dance, which I think The Last Dance, last episodes, air May 17th. That week, there's some dope releases coming out so if you don't have the sneakers app go download it if you're a shoe guy or if you're a shoe girl uh you make sure you 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 get your hands on that and there are a whole lot of shoe people dipping their toe into the water uh after this past week's episode uh the jordan ones are getting a lot of love uh, a little bit too much love on some of the resale apps uh the shoes that jordan was wearing not the original 1985 shoes, but the retro versions that came out in 2015. Those are reselling. They were they were reselling at last sale, which was Friday. The last time a pair of these Jordan 1s sold was Friday. So two days before the uh, documentary aired, before that uh, episode of the documentary aired, the... Highest sale at that time was eight hundred and twenty-seven dollars. That that's a 
I know that's a, it's a lot. I'm not framing it as, as it's not a lot, but in terms of Jordan ones, oh, it's like, okay, that's, that's, that's right there. That's a, it's a, it's a pretty hefty price. They're selling now for $1,500. They have sold regularly since Friday uh, for that price. There's been a massive spike in Jordan ones. Now, remember these Jordan ones are the same shoe that Jordan was talking about his Feet felt like hell, like there was a pool of blood at his shoe from them, and people just couldn't wait to buy him. Immediately following Jordan uh, making that remark, which is hysterical. Has anyone played in Jordans? That's one of the most fascinating thing about some of these old uh, Jordans is they are horribly, horribly uncomfortable and completely unequipped for you know actually playing basketball in them. They are terribly, terribly uncomfortable. But Jordan 1s across the, like, across the block have gone up, like, uh, you know, a variety of, you know, the, the, the different, even, like, the non-rare the non rare versions of the Jordan 1 went up. Um, there was a pair that I wish I had gotten, and I never did. Those Spider-Mans, the Jordan 1 Spider-Mans, oh, those are so clean, and I never got them. If life ever returns to normal and I can get back to feeding my uh, unhealthy shoe habit, there is one that I can think of. There's one pair left of Jordan 1s that I really, really want. And it's the, it's the Blue Union. The Blue Toe Union Los Angeles shoes. Those, they have like the, you know, the toe is blue. They have some yellow stitching in it. It's got a, you know, it's got the red. Uh, it's got the, uh, you know, the Jordan insignia on it. The only thing I really don't like about them is the the top is too dark, and I do bad with darker shoes. But like the top is black. The top is black and red. But these shoes are so clean. It's the, it's it's one of the few pair of Jordan ones where it's like ah, I'll go for those. I think I want to get my hands on those. Or at least a few pair of Jordan ones that I don't already have. Of course, if anybody's got the plug for the Christian Dior Jordans, I'll go ahead and take those. I don't exactly have uh, $10,000 laying around to get my hands on them. But, you know, if you got the hookup, don't holler at me because I ain't got that. Uh, let's shift to, oh, let's say, oh, there's one more NBA note. One more. And this is a real NBA note. This isn't a sneaker note. Um, the Utah Jazz president of basketball operations, Dennis Lindsay. He said, hey, we're, we're ready to go. We, we, we want to go out there and we want to compete for a championship. Now, he wasn't necessarily speaking about the return of basketball and he wasn't necessarily speaking about the team that he thinks his position is in. He is trying to quell concerns about the relationship between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, uh, according to... According to Gobert, uh, didn't speak for well over a month after uh, the shutdown of the NBA season, and there were a lot of people really frustrated with Gobert. And I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody blames Rudy Gobert for the shut. I mean, I know people jokingly blame Rudy Gobert for the shutdown of the NBA season. I think it's the optics of Rudy Gobert that really pissed people off. It's because there was one player in the league who thought it would be funny to touch all of the... And, you know, LeBron made his remarks. He said things like, oh, you know, 
it's 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 weird you guys being so far away but i feel far less threatened with you guys you know far away like everybody kind of made their jokes about the media being you know six feet away or or whatever the whatever the the space was but rudy gobert is the only one who thought it would be funny to touch microphones and phones and and all of those you know different recording devices that were at the table that day he's the only one who did that so that video starts to circulate and you see people laughing about it and then it's like oh an nba player tested positive oh it's him okay i think people took his i think people had a bigger problem with his uh, inability to take this whole situation seriously i think they had a bit of bigger problem with that than they did you know blaming him for the shutdown of the nba season um but point being Lindsay went on to say you know they're ready to put this behind them they're ready to move forward they're ready to be professionals uh we want to get out there we want to play uh we look forward to moving forward we we we've we want to go compete for a championship so he's obviously also trying to you know push getting back and, and getting some form of playoff started you know, the jazz were playing i feel like the jazz were you know, up until that very loud noise they made on March 11th, I feel like the Jazz had had a, you know, they had had a a, a pretty good season, but relatively quiet. I mean, they were 41-23 and on the season. Donovan Mitchell was playing really good. He was, uh, he he had had a real big bounce back after last year's season. And remember, not that he had a bad year last year. I just thought he, I thought he had a great rookie year. I thought he was fine his second season. Like he wasn't bad. I just thought he was like he he's good. Like there's there's nothing to like get excited about. Like Donovan Mitchell's good. This year he's been he's been really good, but it's been really quiet. And the partnership between Gobert and Mitchell and everything that the Utah Jazz has been doing, have been doing, had been relatively quiet leading in to March eleventh. And maybe that's because of the noise that the Los Angeles Lakers make. Or maybe it's because of the noise that the you know, the Los Angeles Clippers make, or no matter where they are in the standings, the Houston Rockets seem to always make noise. I don't, I don't know if, 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 if those are all factors as to why, but the, but the Jazz sitting at 41 and 23, like, oh, okay. I don't remember talking a lot about the Jazz. I don't, truthfully, I don't remember thinking very much about the Jazz other than, okay, they're in the mix, and we, we kind of expected them in the mix, and maybe part of that is because before the season started, everyone was, oh, the Utah Jazz. That was the NBA hot take. It wasn't going to be the Lakers. It wasn't going to be the Clippers. It was going to be the Utah Jazz that won the Western Conference. And it's like, all right. Okay, we know you're smart. And we know the Jazz are good. But let's calm down. Let's not pretend like LeBron James on the Lakers doesn't matter. Let's not pretend like the partnership of LeBron James and Anthony Davis doesn't matter. Let's not pretend like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George just didn't team up so you can have your take on the Utah Jazz and how fundamentally sound they are. Quinn Schneider's a hell of a coach. No question. I mean, come on. Quinn Schneider's a great, great coach. But that was the take. That that was the eye-roll-inducing take before the season started, is that the Jazz, in a again, in a conference that has Paul George and Kawhi Leonard uh, in, in a pretty stacked Clippers team, by the way, with a great coach and a uh, partnership of a motivated LeBron James along with Anthony Davis like like those like those those two entities were going to be insignificant and it was going to be the Jazz that won the conference maybe that's why things fell quiet because they're not winning the conference 
they're having a great season and that's not that's not expectations that the that's not that's no one's fault but ours like NBA fans, NBA media people like that. That's just our fault for saying that the Jazz were going to win the Western Conference. That's not. That's not their fault. They're having a good season. They're they were handling their business. They they were competing uh, at the top of that difficult you know Western Conference. And and, I, and when I say the Western Conference is difficult, I'm specifically talking about the top of it, the bottom and a little bit more clusterish. But the top, man, the t- top is loaded. Just as the Eastern Conference. Top of the Eastern Conference is loaded. But you know, the Jazz were one of those teams where you know, the media put so much expectations on them that it just caused them to have a, you know, a, a pretty a pretty chill season. And, and it, I can't remember. I mean, Donovan Mitchell was balling. Donovan Mitchell was 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 having a just an absolutely extraordinary season. Uh let's shift the football. We'll talk about another guy. Uh, who had a really good season last year and was rewarded with that in the offseason with uh, trade conversations. That didn't go anywhere. And apparently now the Jacksonville Jaguars are ready to welcome back Leonard Fournette with open arms. I guess. For some reason, the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars didn't pick up Leonard Fournette's fifth-year option. But they are going to go ahead and go forward, and they expect him to be, uh, I guess, a big part of the offense in this upcoming season. If you recall around draft time, we talked about Leonard Fournette because Leonard Fournette was one of those guys who was, yeah, he's he's probably going to be moved today. He's probably going to be moved over the course of this weekend. If he's not moved by this weekend, he'll probably be moved on Monday. Uh he was never moved. <laughs> the Jaguars were, and we inquired about this, and the Jaguars were never, never able to get. They were never able to get an offer that moved them. And I think we talked about that leading into the draft. Is when you look around and you see what some of these NFL players are traded for, particularly around draft time. You know whether they go. You know, very few players get traded for you know a first round pick. But we start talking about okay, could this guy get a third? Like that's a mar- that is a top tier guy if you get traded for a third round pick. Or are we talking fourth or? You know, what are we talking with Leonard Fournette? Are we talking like a fifth and sixth round pick? Or are we talking about a combination of, of late round picks? I really didn't know what he could fetch on the, on, on the market, particularly around draft time. And the answer to that has been given to us. Nothing. Uh, Doug Marone said uh, yesterday there were just some minor discussions with that, but nothing substantial throughout the draft or even prior to the draft. I think the mindset is that we're going to go forward with Leonard on the team. I had a good talk with him on Friday. All right. Sorry, that, was, that wasn't that uh, was Doug Marone. That was uh, Jacksonville Jaguars general manager Dave Caldwell. Uh, he was on um, Pro Football Talk, so my apologies. That was not Doug Marone. That was their general manager. Uh, so I guess, and why not? Leonard Fournette's coming off his best season as a pro. 1,152 yards on the ground, 1,600-plus yards from scrimmage. 76 receptions. Yeah, why not? Roll with it. Didn't have a lot of touchdowns last year, as I'm sure some of you who play fantasy football knew. But um, yeah, this is the, the, it, 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 he he framed it as, and obviously Dave Caldwell's the guy who knows the answer to this. But he framed it as, I think the mindset is that we're going to go forward with Leonard. Well. You think the mindset is like you know, like you're the you're the guy in charge, but 
I, there, I, I, this isn't a, there's, there's, this isn't a bad proposition for the Jacksonville Jaguars. If they can pull another season out of this, uh, like this, out of Leonard Fournette, and you have him there with, I guess Gardner Minshew, then, yeah, okay. I, I, it's a, it's a, it's a no lose situation for Jacksonville. Maybe not the best situation for Leonard Fournette, but it's not a bad situation for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, speaking of fantasy football, this name really stands out to me because I remember him being brought up as a name that we should really watch as it pertains to fantasy football, and he hasn't played much really since then. Uh, Quincy Inunua, he's already been ruled out for the 2020 season. Uh, he played one game in the 2019 season uh, because of a neck injury, and the New York Jets have already announced that, yeah, he's – He's done. Like he's he's not going to be able to play this upcoming year either. Anunwa uh, uh, missed the 2017 season because of neck surgery. Then he re-injured his neck in 2019. Uh, the season in the middle, he was pretty damn good. N- not you know not not like a one marquee receiver good, but 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 really good. And and I hate saying this. I was playing fantasy football at the time. We had Nate Lundy on the show. He was a he was a quality fantasy pickup at the time, and he was one of the names who was brought to us like, keep an eye on this kid. And I remember the weekend rolled around, and Quincy and Noonwa balled out, and it was like, okay. And then you start, you know, that's one thing that fantasy football helped me do is it it, it kind of directed my attention to players that maybe I wasn't necessarily paying attention to before. Uh, but this looks like a, a potentially rough ending uh, for the young wide receiver. Um, NFL games are going to be announced, or the NFL schedule is going to be announced. And before we uh, dig into that, I want to remind you that the new Patreon account is live at patreon.com slash Damian Barling. Uh, we, we have uh, different subscription tiers and different perks. We have three exclusive Patreon podcasts, including the rebirth of Be Conscious. A new episode is coming your way. This month, we have a weekly wrestling podcast that's going to debut... Next Tuesday, exclusively for Patreon users, it's going to cover uh, the behind-the-scenes news. It's going to cover what's going on camera. There's some. There's going to be some big news coming out of uh, the WWE over the course of the next couple of weeks. The WWE has got to figure something out as it pertains to their television tapings. They set an all-time ratings low with the show that they had on Monday. So we'll have our weekly wrestling podcast that is going to debut Next Tuesday, uh, we'll have exclusive Kings content for you. I'm going to be honest, that's that's a ways away. I have no idea when exactly that's going to return. Um, that's not going to interfere with the HoopBall podcast. As a matter of fact, there's a HoopBall uh, podcast that's going to be posted uh, here this week as well. Uh, so there are all of those things uh, exclusive to Patreon users. There's going to be a live, uh, there's going to be a video show each and every single week. That begins on Monday. Uh, so head over uh, to patreon.com slash Damian Barling or go to DamianBarling.com and click the orange Patreon button in the upper left-hand corner. And if you want to join us over there on Patreon, it'd be a fantastic way uh, to support the show here uh, and get some pretty cool perks out of it as well. We've got some dope T-shirts being designed. Uh, we've got some really cool stuff on the way. So again, patreon.com slash Damian Barling or go to DamianBarling.com and click the orange uh, become a Patreon button. 
Uh, there are some pretty cool games on the schedule. We already know about them. We don't know when they're going to be played, but we know that they're going to be on the schedule. Uh, one of the ones that I think would have been the most fun, it's actually lost some of its luster. Uh, but the 49ers are going to play the New England Patriots. They're going to be in New England this year. Of course, Jimmy Garoppolo spent three seasons of his career there, uh, and he spent them behind Tom Brady, who's not there anymore. Uh, he's in Tampa Bay. So, uh, I don't know what the Patriots are going to be this year. I've heard everything from we're going to see, you know, Bill Belichick's genius on full display here, and 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 the, and the Patriots are going to win ten games, and they're going to win the the AFC East. And then I've seen the Patriots are going to be like five and eleven. It's like, oh, okay. Those those are two. Those are those are two pretty dramatic shifts in in the way teams are being projected. I don't remember what their. I know we did the Vegas win loss total around draft time. I don't remember. I don't remember what the Patriots were. Uh, but I, th- this game has certainly lost a little bit of luster. Uh, without Tom Brady, uh, but it may not have lost any luster for Jimmy Garoppolo when the 49ers uh, travel to Foxborough to take on the New England Patriots. Another game that's going to happen this year, Ron Rivera, the all-time winningest coach in Panthers history. He's going to take on his old team as the new head coach of Washington. Um, Rivera's final game as the Panthers head coach was actually a 29-21 loss to Washington in week 13. So that means that Ron Rivera's last game with the Carolina Panthers uh, was against the team he is going to coach. And his first game with Washington is going to be against, uh, or potentially be against his former team. Obviously, that's only going to work if the Panthers and Washington are scheduled for week one. And the NFL is really good at recognizing storylines and throwing that stuff uh, out there so um, we've got that what's the other one I know there's one more oh uh, Odell Beckham uh, the Browns and the Giants uh, that game the Browns at the Giants so Odell Beckham will be back in New York that'll be one of the uh, one of the games that is discussed I assume that's going to be a, a, a marquee game uh, coming up with Daniel Jones versus Baker Mayfield uh, when the schedule is announced tomorrow uh, as part of the announcement tomorrow and we talked about this. It has been confirmed uh, by the NFL. Um, all games in 2020 will be played in the United States. It'll be the first time uh, that a game hasn't been played outside the United States since 2007. Uh, the first regular season game that was played outside the United States was in 2005, and it was between uh, the Cardinals and the 49ers. And the league has done some sort of Mexico City or London game uh, every year since 2007. So I'm sure the Jacksonville Jaguars are sad about this, and I'm being sarcastic. And I assume every team in the NFL is sad that they're not going to have the London slash Mexico City game. And again, I am being incredibly sarcastic about this. Uh, I one th- I haven't gotten a. I saw the video of the SoFi stadium um video screen that that that's 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 nuts that is a thousand percent nuts it's awesome but it's freaking nuts is that stadium done like i i, I saw the, the the video thing was was super dope to see but i was <laughs> w- 
what I didn't see is, is uh, you know, as it pertains to that picture was, is, is the stadium done? I assume it's going to be done in time because if there, if it wasn't, I would think here, you know, what are we in May? There would be a sense of, there would be a sense of concern, like legitimate, legitimate concern about, okay, whether the SoFi Stadium is going to be able to open or not. Um, and I'm guessing the the Las Vegas Stadium is is a it's it's ready to go as well. It it looked it, it looked you know from the outside it looked like it was in great shape at draft time. They kept showing the you know exterior shot of it, uh, but I'm not I'm not sure you know if that stadium is 100 percent ready to go, uh, and uh, you know how much more time each of those uh, two stadiums need. Uh, to get done, but that's been something uh, I was thinking about over the. Ca- I know that's not the 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 first time that uh, we've discussed that either. Um, what else do we got? I don't know why I keep saying um. That that's it's like the worst transition in in radio slash podcasting. Um, what am I going to talk about next? What do I have here? Thirty for thirties. Uh, the last dance uh, is setting to wrap up on Sunday, May seventeenth. Uh, we talked about that earlier. The the uh, 30 for 30 uh, franchise, ESPN, they have announced that uh, three more 30 for 30s are on the way, and they have all been moved up. Uh, moving up the last dance was was kind of the biggest piece of the pie and, you know, getting this out there for, for, for consumption by the sports world. And so the, the you know, the, the, the producers of these three documentaries, they have moved up uh, all of their documentaries as well. They have moved up finalizing production on them and, we're going to be ready to go. And these all look like really, really good ones, I, I, I guess. There's a two-part documentary on Lance Armstrong. Now, I'm interested. I'm interested, but I also know if, if, if this is like an honest look at if, if, I don't know if I, I don't know if Lance is involved in this. Um, I, I can't see anything in the in the. Uh, in the description here as to whether Lance Armstrong is, is, is involved in this. It looks like he is because it talks about the, the, yeah, he is raw, you know, raw interviews and personal perspectives. Okay. So he's involved in it. Yeah. Here's a, here's a news flash to everybody who's not familiar. Lance Armstrong's full of shit. So like, if he's honest, cool, I'm interested. He's lied his way through autobiographies before. Um, if this is just a real look at Lance Armstrong. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious. I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. Uh, there's a documentary coming up on Bruce Lee. I know that our, that'll, that'll make, uh, our friend Doug Christie very happy. Uh, I'm not the biggest Bruce Lee guy. He's, uh, he's fascinating. I think that the, the, what this one's called be water. He's a, he's a fascinating figure for sure. Uh, again, interested, not like moved, but, I'm I'm interested, and I think this might be one of those those things where, like, yeah, I'm curious about Bruce Lee. Like, oh, I'm I'm curious, and then you come out of the documentary and you're like a huge fan of Bruce Lee. Um, I get the intrigue by him. I was just never like I didn't watch. I, I I think I've seen maybe like one Bruce Lee movie, and I think I saw it on accident, and I don't even think I saw the thing in its entirety. And I'm pretty sure I stopped because I was like, wait, is that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar right there? I, I can't really remember how I stumbled across Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee but I, I know him more as like the the motivational figure, and you know certainly he's someone that you know in the fitness world. When you're reading like fitness magazines, you always see Bruce Lee and his dedication to fitness. 
that's kind of like more of, of what I know about him. I know a, a, a little less about his martial arts background and his, his transition to Hollywood and, and those types of different things. So curiosity, you know, curious for sure. Uh, and then the final uh, documentary that has been moved up, the final 30 for 30, is a documentary on Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and that famous home run battle in 1998. Here is the description of that 30 for 30. Uh, Long Gone Summer, an official selection of the 2020 Tribeca Film Festival Chronicles, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa's storied 1998 home run chase following the 1994 Major League Baseball strike. For the first time, both men discuss that summer at length, including its lasting legacy and undeniable complications. So the only part about that documentary that matters is the undeniable complications part. Sammy Sosa has not, to the best of my knowledge, hasn't publicly acknowledged he cheated. He hasn't publicly acknowledged he used steroids. Mark McGuire has, and I don't know. Is this going to be one of those moments like the Sammy Sosa, like does he know how to speak English in this documentary, or do we need a do we need a translator there for him? Because I I think Sammy likes to pick and choose when he can speak English. So that that'll that'll be that'll be you know a a, a fascinating factor here is I'm not going to pretend like what Sammy Sosa looks like. In these interviews, isn't going to be a fascinating part of 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 this documentary as well. But it, to me, the documentary has to begin and end with, okay, what you're about to see is a hundred percent fiction. I think that's how I, you like you you have to frame it that way. Okay, what you're about to see really happened, but. It's not exactly real because if there are people who still want to say that Henry Aaron and and I'm fine with this. If you want to say that Hank Aaron is the all time home run king, go ahead, go on about your business. If you want to try to erase Barry Bonds from baseball history, you can. But there are a whole lot of other names that you have to erase along the way. And not only do you have to erase the names, you know, you better do a whole lot of digging and realize there's probably some names you're going to have to erase that you don't know. And that's that's no no documentary on the home run chase can be done without, you know, framing it as artificially enhanced. The first shot needs to be Mark McGuire standing in front of his locker with creatine and Anderson in the locker room or in his in, in his locker. And then, you know, segue the Andro discussion into steroids. And I want a description of what he was using. Like, I want to know how many times he was taking it. I want to know where it was it an injection. I want to know, was it a cream? I want to know, was it, was it something you put under your tongue and it dissolved? Was it a pill? I want to know all of this. Get into detail about the steroids you were using. And then the, 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 this doc, I, I will tell you this now, this 30 for 30 will be severely damaged if they're sitting down and they do an interview with Sammy Sosha and he does not acknowledge that he cheated. If this is the big moment where Sammy first says, yeah, I cheated. Just like everybody else. Like 90% of the league, I cheated. Then then cool, there's your there's the, there's the claim to fame if you're the documentary. You got Sammy Sosa to admit that he cheated. But if not, if he's talking about this as if it's real, 
And Mark McGuire is there talking about like, yeah, oh, I remember this game. I hit that ball 500 yards. Oh, yeah, I put this cream on my arm before the game, man. I felt like a billion dollars. I was lifting weights every day. I was, rec- I was lifting every day. I was taking this stuff. I was recovering at a rate that I didn't, I wasn't even able to do when I was 20. That's what I want. Give me that. But if he's doing that, and then Sammy's like, oh, yeah, I, I had a new weightlifting routine that year. As he says to his interpreter. Then the, the, it, it, to, to me, if, if that's the case, and obviously I'm speaking on something I, I haven't seen and know nothing about. But if that's the case, you, 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 you don't have to scrap the documentary, but you got to scrap Sammy Sosa's portion. You just put a little graphic up at the beginning and say, look, we interviewed Sammy Sosa, but uh, he pretended that this was real. <laughs> So we just decided he wouldn't acknowledge that he cheated. So he just, we just decided to cut this whole thing out. Because everybody believes that he cheated, just like everybody believes that Barry Bonds cheated. Barry Bonds didn't, Barry Bonds has never failed a drug test. Barry Bonds looks a whole lot different today than he did, you know, a decade ago, which is pretty telling. Gosh, over, over a decade, but still pretty telling. Kind of at the point with Barry where you don't have to say it. Like when they sit down to do a documentary on 760, I don't even know the number, whatever the number is, 769, maybe 770, whatever the number is, whenever they sit down to do that, or whenever they sit down to do a documentary on, you know, 73 home runs or however many home runs that he hit, 71, maybe that's the moment where he's like, yeah, oh, Victor Conti. I don't know what Victor Conti gave me, but I know you could always frame it that way. Victor Conti gave me a whole bunch of stuff. I didn't ask any questions. Plausible deniability, bitches. I just took it. He told me to rub it on my arms. He told me to rub it on my thighs. That's what I did. He told me to uh, put this under my tongue uh, every morning when I woke up. He told me to uh, take these pills every night before I went to bed. I just did what he told me. He's my nutritionist. He was my guide. He's my supplement guide. I don't know what he gave me. Shoot, if that's if that's true, run with it. Plausible deniability. You could say, yeah, I had some sneaky suspicions when my arms grew three inches, my chest grew five inches, and I was bench pressing 300 times. Yeah, it really clicked when I hit a ball 700 feet. But I didn't know I was cheating. Shoot, that, that would be my defense. If I, if, I, if I had a Victor Conti working for me, I'd be like, hey... Give it to me, but don't tell me what it is. I don't want to know. I don't even want to know what it does. Just tell me how I'm supposed to use it. And uh, that's what I'll do. Structure my workout plan based on this stuff you're giving me. And I will tell everyone forever. I don't know what I was taking. I took what my supplement guy gave me. Go ask Victor Conti what I was taking. I don't know. It's totally a chicken move to do, but I'd do it. Uh, so those are the three documentaries on the way that we could keep our eye out as The Last Dance uh, wraps up here uh, at some point pretty soon. <laughs> There's a, a, a question on Yahoo right now. What is the best sports documentary ever? Uh, hoop- Icarus is good. Uh, you, you've that's it's, a, it's freaking bizarre, but it's about the Russian dope scandal. You've, you've got to go watch that. Uh, I thought OJ Made in America was really, really, really good. Um, 
I'm going to click on this list and see what else they, what else they wrote about. I thought OJ made it uh, in America was really good. Survive in advance. Uh, that's about, it's about the NCAA tournament in 82 at NC state. I don't, I didn't, I don't think I, I don't, I don't remember that. Is that a 30 for 30? I don't think I saw that one. I need to go, I need to go find that one. Hoop dreams. Yeah. It's, Good stuff there. OJ Made in America is on the list. Um, what else do we got? Some about horse racing. Ken will love that. Sunderland Till I Die. I have that's about double A soccer. One day in September. Oh, yeah, this is about the Munich Olympics in nineteen seventy two. I did see that. Um When We Were Kings. I thought when we I think when we were kings is a it's it, when we were kings is good. The, the the difficult thing about Muhammad Ali movies and documentaries, and this was my gripe. This was my only gripe with Ali because I loved the movie. I love the way that Will Smith. I'm still aggravated that that Will Smith didn't win the Academy Award for that, but Jamie Fox wins it the next year for essentially doing the same exact thing Will Smith did the year before. It's just Jamie Fox did it with Ray Charles. Will Smith did it with Muhammad Ali. My issue with When We Were Kings is all of these things that cover Muhammad Ali cover the same exact time period. They cover, you know, the war. They cover the, you know, the fight against George Foreman. And and it, it like, I feel like I have seen all of the same stuff over and over and over again. Uh, Icarus is on this list. You definitely got to go see that. So those are all of the ones uh, that made the list. I was looking at, and, and I'm sure this is just great timing on the WWE's part, the Undertaker series, the, the little mini-series that they did. It's a five-part mini-series. I don't think it's two hours each episode. I don't know that for sure, but I don't think it's a 10-hour uh, documentary. Uh, but it is a, a five-part mini-series, and it begins on, it begins on Monday. So if you have the WWE, uh, sorry, 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 it doesn't begin on Monday. It begins on Sunday. It begins this weekend. Um, if you have the WWE Network, that might be the most worthwhile thing that they've put on their uh, network in a long time. Like I'm, I'm anxious to see that because it's, you know, the Undertaker kind of being a human, which, which you know, I don't think we really, really saw until you know they wanted to launch the Stone Cold. Uh, uh, Broken Skull Sessions, the 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 kind of you know the redo of his you know podcast, the 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 redo of his uh, interview segments that that they had been putting on the network for a while. They 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 use that as the big launching point of okay, here's the Undertaker, but it's not the Undertaker. It's not the guy in character. You're gonna see the you know you know the Texas boy with his Longhorn shirt on, and you're get you know you're gonna see all of that stuff really for the first time on our network. So here's what we've got. And I get, you want to launch the, you know, the new, you know, the new stone cold series with, with a bang. And that's certainly, you know, a good way to do it. But man, in retrospect, it might've been better to hold that interview off here until we get to the launching of this documentary. And I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to see this. I was watching the trailer uh, and I, I, I swear, I think it's the first time that I saw the clip from, the Saudi Arabia match where Goldberg dropped Undertaker on his head. I knew they had a I knew they had a series of really botched moves. 
I, I know that that match was an absolute disaster from beginning to end, but I don't think I had ever seen that part where Goldberg nearly killed The Undertaker trying to jackhammer him. I had never seen that. And at least I don't think I have seen it because I, I was watching it and I was like, oh, crap, what was that? And, you know, The Undertaker talks about, you know, I was this close to being dead, all, you know, all of these different things. I was like, I don't think I'd seen that before. So that starts this weekend. I think uh, that's, that's, that's going to be really intriguing. If WWE was ever going to produce a documentary, like a long-term five-part documentary on someone, The Undertaker might, might be the best candidate. I don't know how much of, I, I, it doesn't appear that, you know, like Mean Mark in WCW is covered in this. It doesn't appear that, uh, you know, the debut of The Undertaker in 1990 is covered in this. Uh, it seems like it's more centered on a specific time frame. Now, I don't know if this is like the, you know, the the 97, 98 part of The Last Dance where, you know, the main story is what's going on right now. The main story is what's, you know, leading into his match with with Roman Reigns and in and, and, and the repeated matches that he had or segments that he had at WrestleMania following. And if that's the you know, the main part, but every, you know, 10 minutes or so, we flash back to the moment where he beat Hulk Hogan in 1991. Or we, you know, flash back to the Undertaker versus the Undertaker at SummerSlam of 94. Like, I'm not really sure, you know, how this is going to be structured, but I'm certainly very, very anxious uh, to watch it. And I'll take a 10-hour documentary on the Undertaker. There aren't very many guys in the WWE who I think could hold your attention for a lengthy documentary, the Undertaker is one. Certainly, the you know the most obvious candidate for a long WWE documentary would be Vince McMahon. Like I'm working on the next episode of Relive right now, and I'm reading about the steroid trial. It would be, it would be fascinating to hear Vince McMahon talk about. But the pro the problem with wrestling documentaries, it, it, the problem with really anything involved in wrestling is. Guys have told, particularly the WWE, because they're, you know, and I, and, I, and I love AEW, but, you know, WWE is still the big, they're still the big dog, and everything still kind of runs through them. And when you're, when you're the last major wrestling company standing, you can write history as you want to. And WWE has rewritten history in such a matter that, like, they actually believe it. Like they believe they believe the stuff that they say on documentaries like, you know, the Monday Night War. That's the issue with wrestling documentaries is they're not real like they're fake. Like that Monday Night War documentary that they used to launch the network, help launch the network was such trash because it's all like a lie. It's all revisionist history. And that's what like I've said on a million occasions. I love the something to something to wrestle with podcast with uh something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. I love that, but I know what it is. Like, it's entertainment. Like, I listen to it because I find it entertaining. I'm certain I learn a few things along the way, but I'm also certain that Bruce Pritchard's probably full of crap. I know Eric Bischoff is full of crap. I enjoy his podcast, too, because he talks a lot about the business side of wrestling. He talks about the business side of television, and I find a lot of that stuff really intriguing. But... When like the second episode of your podcast is about WCW acquiring Bret Hart and you make the remark that you didn't attempt to sign him in 1996, when you say that, well, we didn't even offer him a contract in 1996. And Conrad Thompson the whole, is like, wait, what? 
Like this whole this this whole episode was based off you offering him a contract in 1996, and you're telling me you didn't. Meanwhile, everyone on the planet Earth is like, no, he did. Like, I actually have the contract that he offered me. He stuck to his guns despite the fact that he had been called out for like why you would even lie about something like that is is mind-boggling to me. But it's for entertainment. And that's the issue with wrestling is like in wrestling you kind of lose which is the purpose of the television show. You lose the you know reality and you get lost in the story. Well, wrestlers and wrestling promoters seem to have gotten lost along the way as well. And they just regurgitate the same crap that they've been saying for the last decade to the point where, or last several decades now, to the point where I think that they all believe that it's true. I think Vince McMahon, but you know, believing that uh, uh, Ted Turner was trying to put him out of business and he's this underdog who survive the time Warner uh, conglomerate and all of that nonsense. Like he, like you, you really believe that? Like, okay, cool. Maybe what was putting you out of business was this steroid trial that I'm reading about. Maybe it was from 1991 to 1994. You had no good publicity. Maybe it's because from 1994 to 1996, you really didn't have a star. You had Bret Hart, but you refused to commit to Bret Hart, so you went with Diesel. That worked out for absolutely nobody, except, of course, for Diesel. Worked out great for Kevin Nash. Didn't work out for anybody else. Certainly didn't work out for the company. And the one thing that I'm learning in writing this next episode of Relive is the amount of times that Bret Hart, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, the amount of times that Bret Hart, who is a beloved you know, superstar, the amount of times that he was simply a transitional champion is mind-boggling. Absolutely mind-boggling. I haven't even gotten to the final number yet. But Bret Hart, to the best of my recollection, was a five-time WWF champion. He was a transition champion maybe, it's just off the top of my head, at least three of those times. When he won it in 97, in August of 97, uh, and maybe he wasn't meant to be a transitional champion, but he became one as he wound up dropping the title to, to uh, Shawn Michaels and at the Survivor Series bit. And then he, you know, held the title uh, for, you know, he beat uh, Ric Flair for it, and then he wound up dropping it to Yokozuna. And then he beat Diesel, but then he wound up dropping it a couple of months later to Shawn Michaels. Like, he was the transitional champion from Diesel to Shawn Michaels. Man. And then, and, then, <laughs> and then there was the night that he won the championship for a day. Bret Hart was like a, he was like a transitional champion for Sid, for God's sakes. I don't know, man. I don't know. That boy, I, I got I got severely off track. Let's get out of here. I appreciate you so much for tuning in. Uh, check out patreon.com slash Damien Barling. Go to DamienBarling.com. Click the orange Patreon in the button, uh, orange Patreon button in the corner, and check out the different things, the different perks uh, that we got going on over there. Appreciate you downloading, subscribing. Thank you for listening. Go rate, review, do all of that stuff, and make sure you come back here tomorrow on the podcast with Damien Barling.